today on the Beginner Photography Podcast. You got to have a convincing story here. And, you know, there was a great TED Talk. The general idea is why, how, what, um, with the idea that as you're delivering a message, uh, you start with the why. Why is something important? Um, then how do you achieve that thing? And then what is it that you're trying to achieve? So this is, this is the Apple philosophy of marketing where they start with their vision, uh, they get into the process, and then they reveal the product at the end, right? And the whole idea is you're trying to convince the viewer them of that they cannot live their life without this device. Welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast, where today we're learning how to use that little movie button on your camera to start telling some stories with video. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast, a weekly podcast for those who believe that moments matter most and that a beautiful photo is more than just a sum of its settings. A show for those who want to do more with the gear they have to take better photos today. And now your host, Raymond Hatfield. Welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. I have uh, something a little bit different for you today, but it is a topic that I know that many of you, my photo friends, are interested in, if not curious about, and that is video. Today, I chat with Mike Wilhelm, who is the co-host of the Video Maker podcast, along with Chris, and together they talk all about video and all of your video needs, of course. Now, a few months ago, I actually had the opportunity to sit down with them on their podcast, virtually, of course, and talk about my intro into film and then how I transitioned into photography. But there are a ton of great tips for new photographers like you on things like, you know, what camera to buy, uh, and then great tips on composition, lighting, things like that. So uh, even though it's not, even though it's the Video Maker podcast, I highly suggest that you still go check it out. And I posted the link in the show notes as well. It is a um, perfect companion <laughs> interview for this one that you're going to hear today. In fact... I just listened to my interview with Mike and Chris yesterday, and while I kept asking myself, my God, is that really how I sound? I also thought, how can I answer more of your photography questions? So this Friday, and if you're listening to this in the future, we're going to be doing these monthly. I am hosting a live Q&A in the Beginner Photography Podcast Facebook group. So if you have any questions about photography, I'd love to answer them live this Friday. And I'll post the exact time in the group when you join so that you can, you know, be sure to join us. And if you're not already a part of the Beginner Photography Podcast Facebook group, then just simply search Facebook for Beginner Photography Podcast and the group will pop up. Me and all of your new photo friends would be happy to have you in the group. Okay, so with that, let's get chatting today with Mike Wilhelm. That sounded weird. You know, Mike, with you getting started in video production with uh, like TV and commercials, uh, kind of like myself, one thing that I always found really interesting was just the power of telling a story, right? When we, when we first get started, we get really excited when we're on our own to kind of do all the technical things ourselves. but then we really learn quickly the power of telling a story in what it is that we're producing. So for you, um, how would you start introducing story into some of your your earliest uh video projects uh you know i would say that that my very earliest video projects were like a hundred percent story uh you know like a lot of people i got started um you know making videos in junior high school and and high school uh, doing like 
you know, monkeying around with my dad's old uh, VHSC camcorder. And, um, you know, at the time we were just like goofing around doing silly stuff, like pointing our camera at ourselves and then plugging into the TV and doing (laughs) world's effect and all that. Yeah. But, but eventually, um, you know, going into, into high school, we had assignments like creative writing assignments, um, or, or actually one that I recall specifically was like a, a, um, it was like a dramatic presentation where you had to like act out, you know, some, um, you know, Greek play or something, right. From, from English class. And I was never a big performer, but I, but I did like cameras. So I I talked my teacher into uh, letting me shoot a movie of this, um, this little scene rather than acting it out in front of the class. And so story for me was like right from the start, that's what video was for, um, was to, was to put images together and tell some sort of story. Um, You know, as, as kids, I think, you know, we enjoy the process of like uh, imagination, obviously, and acting it out in play, but also, you know, in like creative writing, you tell stories. And, um, you know, I think I must have written my first story in fourth grade or something. You know, you write like <laughs> a page story or something. That's fun and all, but, um, but then actually using a camera and turning it into imagery makes it just sort of come to life in a way that is, is really magical. Um, so, you know, for me, getting started, that's what it was all about, is just to tell a story and communicate it. Um, I wasn't the greatest writer. Um, I wasn't the most charismatic person or performer, but I could tell stories with images. Um, and so so that's what it was all about. And I, I, I believe truly that that video and photography is really all about stories, um, no matter what kind of kind of work you're doing. You know, I, I spent years making commercials and I considered every single commercial, no matter how like cheesy or, you know, um, pretty straightforward it was to be a story of some kind. If you're communicating any, any kind of message, you can apply the same elements of storytelling in it um, throughout. You know, we're talking about the, the classic three-act structure. You're going to put it to everything, anything that has any kind of, of timing. I don't know if three-act three structure works for photography or not, but it certainly <laughs> Well, it can if you have a, a, you know, like a long-term project or, or just oh, a yeah, series of uh, photos. Series, yeah. 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 So, so for me, it was, it was right from the beginning. It's funny how similar our uh, our stories are. Uh, you know, last week you and I chatted on the Video Maker podcast, and uh, I shared my my story, uh, and it was the same. You know, when you got into high school, you're like, "Wait, I don't have to write something? Like, I can make a video? Like, this is fantastic! Definitely going to do this." Uh, so, you know, I think at our age, uh, it, what happens is, um, you know, shooting movies uh, at home is actually kind of a novelty now. It's now it's it's commonplace, but at the time it was like, wow, you can do this. So you should you absolutely should you know make a movie instead of writing this three page story or paper or whatever. Yeah, yeah. In fact, my son has he's eight, and he has an old an old <laughs> iPhone six S right, and it still shoots four K video. It has iMovie like built into it. And he was just messing around one day and was just playing around with, uh, you know, some of the effects and throwing in some some clips and stuff. And I remember just that moment when he showed me what it was that he created. And it was just simple cuts and things like that. And I remember all of the hours that I spent, you know, taking and, and ingesting those those mini DV tapes that you had to do in real time for it to copy. And it was the old, like, G4 IMAX at, uh, at the local college because I had nothing to edit on. And now, as you said, it's just it's commonplace. Like, we can do this kind of anywhere uh, we want to. But I feel like I'd love to hear your thoughts on giving everybody the tool to be able to tell a story. Because, you know, we gave everybody a pen and paper. And now everybody can, in theory... Let, you know, write something out. They can write a story. They can tell a story. 
before, only a select few had cameras, video cameras, but now everybody has them. Do you think that the uh, the overall, maybe not the production, but the overall uh, point of filmmaking and storytelling has gotten better or worse over the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so? Oh, way better. Way, absolutely way better. I mean, there's no, no doubt about it. You know, um, we talk about it all the time on, on uh, the Video Maker podcast that it really doesn't matter what, what kind of camera you have. If, if it can record images and sound, it's good enough. You can do amazing things with almost nothing. Um, and, you know, a little anecdote um, we talk about, I, I mention all the time, people are probably annoyed about it by, by now, but, you know, Stanley Kubrick was once asked about, like, what is the best aspect ratio you like to shoot on, you know, um, for, for your films? And he says, it's just a canvas, you know, it's just a, a thing, place to do art. So whatever the requirement is, I'll make art for that that medium. Um, you can go back in history and look at some of the greatest uh, photographs um, of all time. You know, Ansel Adams wasn't shooting on, you know, um, a 5D Mark IV or anything like that, you know? Right. Uh, so the equipment is, it makes no difference in, in my mind in terms of creating art. As for, you know, everyone having access to it, I mean, I think you can look at YouTube and the internet as a whole as an example of what happens when everyone has access to these creative tools. Like, incredible things happen and people are introduced to the, the art of storytelling that never would have before because it was too far out of reach. You know, just buying your first camera uh, could be difficult. Uh, in fact, I can remember my first video camera. I, didn't, I don't think I've, I bought it until, um, boy, I was in college. Everything before that was just whatever I could get my hands on. You know, my dad would rent a camera. I would use that. Now everyone has it. So they're, they're developing their skills early and they're exercising those creative muscles all the time. Um, and, Obviously, that's going to have a big impact on the, the creative world. You know, I was just talking to um to a friend yesterday about Tiger Woods, right? Uh, I don't know if if, if uh, you're into golf at all, but you know, Tiger Woods, uh, he played, and then they had to like lengthen all the the courses because he was so good. They had to like make them. Oh, longer. I didn't know that. <laughs> and and you know, it's one of those things where this was a guy who started playing golf as a young child, and uh, and he was working at it for years and years and years, and now. We have people who are coming up in that world who have also been playing since a child and, and the, the level of play is like climbing, right? So I think you could say the same thing about, about the creative world. You know, when you, are, when you have an entire generation of kids that uh, have cameras in their hands by like the age two, my niece has a camera, she's two years old, <laughs> um, then the level of work is just going to go up and up and up. And um, maybe bad news for uh, you, know, you and I who we didn't get started until later, but... Um, but yeah, it's only a good thing, I think, for the progression of, of the art. Well, in a world where we have, obviously, you know, uh, amazing, like, world-class shorts that are filmed by people, you know, on an iPhone, uh, you know, these little documentaries that, uh, that are critically acclaimed, obviously... Obviously, when it comes to documentaries, the story is kind of everything and the imagery is, is, is almost secondary. But we also live in a world where we have just you know, TikTok and Instagram. And I feel like the two sides are being polarized, right? Like the good is getting great and the okay is getting terrible when it comes to uh, telling stories and whatnot. And some people may not like that I said that, but oh well. Uh, I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts kind of going on that Tiger Woods example here. Do you think that we're taking storytelling and cinematography to a place that it's never seen before and that like we're just pushing the envelope so far forward or do you think that that's all just extra when it comes to uh, making video? 
Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step, and the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. Uh, you know, I could think I could just sort of describe this phenomenon as just an expansion of competition, right? Like. The, maybe the the mediocre art is now pretty bad, um, but that's really just by comparison. It's like a numbers game, right? Hmm. Um, if the number of films that are created uh, each year is expanding exponentially, um, then the world is only has so much attention to focus on things, and so they're going to focus their attention on whatever the top you know ten percent of work is, essentially, right? Um, meanwhile, the entire spectrum is expanding. So more people are getting into it. And, you know, more people are maybe having a hard time breaking through, um, I'll call it the noise, but it's not, not really noise, but breaking through the crowd, I guess, to, to try to reach that top 10%. It's becoming more and more and more difficult to do that. It's certainly easier to enter the arena, to enter the, the sort of competitive space, to, to try to um, make your voice heard, to tell, make your story heard when you're making TikToks. We can all do that like before the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but in terms of who's breaking through and what's standing out, you know, the bar is raising all the time just because there's so many more people participating. And if you do mediocre work, it's just harder and harder and harder to get through. Like if you ever watch TV from the 80s, anyone who does that, right, you watch it and go, wow, this is pretty bad. Pretty bad, yeah. Um, yeah, um, as opposed to today, we're like living in this golden age of television, despite actually the kind of decline of broadcast TV. <laughs> Um, just because talent, there's just so much talent out there that, that, um, you know, the mediocre stuff has just a less of a chance to, to rise up to the top. So in, in your words, what do you think it is that, uh, would take you to that level? As you said, it's very easy to get into, uh, the arena. Essentially we can all buy a camera. We all have cameras. What would take us from, mediocre to creating really good work? Um, boy, if I knew that, maybe I would be you know, doing something else, uh, <laughs> making Netflix films or something, right? But, you know, I think if I were to describe it, it would be, you know, uh, you've got to know the fundamentals of storytelling. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, the 3X structure and Freytag's pyramid is like ultra important. If you just sort of abandon these core uh, concepts of storytelling, then it's going to be hard to get anywhere. Uh, that being said, today, you know, with competition as, as stiff as it is, as, then I think it comes down to really having um, new creative ideas. If you can show someone something they've never seen before while using the fundamentals of storytelling to make sure that people's uh, attention is, you know, um, totally captured, I think that's what's going to do it. I think that's what's going to do it. You know, if you look at, if you look at some of the big hits on um, – you know, all the streaming services, there are stories that are just absolutely unique. You know, um, I think you could look at maybe Game of Thrones as a good example of this. I don't know of any story that has, has been serialized in such a way where it's like this part fantasy, 
part soap opera, you know, super violent, super sexual. It was just like this new thing. People saw this this story, and it, it was unlike anything that they'd ever seen. Um, and I think it's that that uh, element that really takes something to the next level. On top of, you know, fantastic um, photography. On top of fantastic writing, you know, you can have fantastic writing, uh, but if you know the the editing is poor the pacing is poor you're going to have a hard time so you got to nail the fundamentals and also have just incredibly original and captivating ideas so when it comes to incredibly you know original and captivating ideas uh when my wife and i first got together she had watched uh mulholland drive right and that's one of those movies that uh well it leaves you kind of wondering what what did I just watch right but at the same time I would consider that pretty original and a, and a and a captivating idea so for these directors like you know David Fincher where do you think the the separation is between something like a game of thrones where they're pushing the envelope and a you know any David Fincher movie as far as how far different they are does that question make sense Boy, I mean, the question of what's the difference between these two things. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, we could go some, on forever. <laughs> some filmmakers just have this amazing ability to take kind of a basic story and turn it into just this absolutely captivating um, work. You know, I wish I could put my finger on, on what it is, you know. Um, you know, certainly there are some films that, that can thrive and succeed and, and just um, knock it out of the park based on, on the writing and the characters um, and David Fincher may fall into that category. You know, the, the movie that I always point at as a good example of this uh, for me has always been um, Napoleon Dynamite mm. where I don't know the, the, the story is kind of like, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Like we've heard yeah. this story a hundred times, right? Yeah. You know, underdog, you know, um, uh, achieves the, the thing that he was un, uh, unexpected to achieve. Um, but the characters were so interesting and compelling that you couldn't help but, but turn away. Um, and at the same time, you know, David Fincher has this uh, ability to just tell this story and, and his timing is such that, you know, it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat throughout. Um, even though you may have kind of followed this story before, you kind of know where it's going. It somehow holds your attention. Um, they just have this ability to, to execute these ideas superbly well. Um, and yeah, this is one of those cases where if I, if I knew the formula to that, then, uh, <laughs> I'd be doing what he's doing. Well, then let's talk about what you do know, right? What are your thoughts on, uh, on just, you know, for, for brand new photographers to be able to tell a better story within, within an image? Because, you know, as, and I think I've heard you say this before, you know, when it comes to video, we have motion, we can move around, we can explore the scene, but in a photo, we have one frame and the story needs to fit within that frame. So what sorts of elements uh, would be required to tell a good story uh, within a single frame of a of, of film? Um, so I think that, you know, first and foremost, you know, if you're looking at a single frame, you've got to have the fundamentals down, right? Like you have to have the composition, the, the fundamentals of the composition figured out. It has to be, you know, well lit uh, and all of that, all of that sort of basic stuff um, you have to get down. So you don't have to think about it when you're actually trying to capture images. Um, but beyond that, you know, I would, I would say that I'm a big believer in editing. Um, and when I say editing, I don't necessarily mean like cutting things up in a timeline in you know, 
your video editing software or touching up the color in Lightroom or anything. That, that is editing, surely. But, but editing is just about making uh, creative decisions in the process of creating and removing pieces that don't need to be there, right? I think that um, a strong image that tells a story, especially if it's a photograph that needs to tell a story all on its own, um, really has to have all the important pieces in place to sort of portray what's going on and not much else. Um, you know, the more pieces of, of noise there are, and I say, I say noise in the sense that, you know, maybe there's like a lot of noise in, in this shot, you know, with my computer here. Well, actually, the computer tells a little bit of a story, but maybe this coffee cup shouldn't be here, right? <laughs> the more pieces of noise there are, the more things that will capture people's attention, the harder time they'll have to figure out like what's actually going on and what's important. So, you know, I, I'm all about making sure that the elements of an image um, all contribute to, to telling the story in, in some way. Otherwise, I think things get muddy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, with, with video, certainly you have a, a number of other elements, um, you know, dialogue and sound and uh, time. Um, but in terms of like an, an individual image, I think, I think that's it. I think it's, it's placing things that need to be in the shot in the shot so that they, they, they can tell a story about what is actually happening here and, and cut the rest. Oh, I love that. Let's talk for a second about that idea of having a, a photo project because I think that that's going to be most closely related to working in video and once again, uh, telling stories, right? So when we have a video project, or I'm sorry, when we have uh, some sort of photo essay, photo project, um, what do you think would be I'm sorry, this is a bad question here. <laughs> Let's say that you're being approached for a, a commercial shoot, right? Let me ask, the commercial is meant to display a product or a business, right? That's all that it is. But simply having a sign that says, come down to Joe's is very boring, right? So we have to create images that want to get people to come down to Joe's. Where do you start in creating a story to be able to capture? There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. I mean, uh, if you're talking about a, a commercial, it really comes down to you got to figure out what is what is the thing that you're trying to convince the viewer of. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. You know, usually it's not like buy this thing, you know, buy this coffee mug. Um, it's that you have to convince someone in this case of this coffee mug. Um, what is special about it? Like this coffee mug will keep your coffee at 400 degrees Fahrenheit for seven Jeez. hours. Or whatever, right? you know, it's like so you got to con- make you got to have a convincing story here. 
Um, because just coming out and saying, buy this coffee mug is just not going to cut it, right? You have to, it's all about persuasion. Um, and, you know, there was a great TED Talk. I wish, boy, I wish I could recall the person who gave it. Um, but the general idea is uh, why, how, what? Um, with the idea that as you're delivering a message, uh, you start with the why. Why is something important? Um, then how do you achieve that thing? And then what is it that you're trying to achieve? So this is, this is the Apple philosophy of marketing where they start with their vision, uh, they get into the process, and then they reveal the product at the end, right? And the whole idea is you're trying to convince the viewer the thing that you're trying to convince them of that they cannot live their life without this device um, because, because of like some philosophical idea that people at Apple have, right? Um, so, you know, it's really just about, about uh, what is the best way to persuade someone of a general idea um, that ultimately, in the case of commercials, will lead them to buying a product or service. Hey, Raymond here, and we will get back to today's interview in just a moment. But first, did you know that shooting a manual is the choice of professional photographers all over the world for one reason? It gives them full control of their camera so that they can capture the image that they visualize in their head. But how do you know which settings for you to use and when? Well, let me help you out with my free ebook, Picture Perfect Camera Settings, that you can grab for yourself over at perfectcamerasettings.com. In it, I share images that I've shot over the years with real camera settings and the info on knowing which setting is the most important to change in which situations so that you can be on your way to learning manual mode too. More than 3,000 photographers just like you have downloaded it already, so grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com. Now, let's get back to today's interview. Well, what about, let's, let's, let's tone that down. Obviously, that was very, uh, you come from the world of sales, right, of, of essentially commercials. You're trying to sell something. You're trying to pitch something. Let's say that um, something that very often happens to new photographers is that maybe they got the new camera. They're going out to the zoo with, uh, with their kids, right? We can all capture a billion photos of that, but what photos do you think are going to uh, tell the overall story of, of going to the zoo? What do we need? Um, you know, when I, I would say that, you know, when you go to the zoo and you're thinking about the photos that you're going to take, you might think about, oh, I'm just going to get a great shot of an elephant or a lion or something. Um, but, but the story of going to the zoo, the actual, you know, visiting the zoo is, is done by people and it, it, um, it is their experience at the zoo, right? So um, in those cases, I would say, if you're telling that story, you have to sort of try to find a way to combine these different elements of the people, like maybe it's your family, I guess, right? the animals themselves. And then you got to try to capture some sort of emotion that, um, that uh, I don't want to say necessarily accurately portrays what's actually happening. You know, we talked about on a, on a video maker podcast about this idea that I like the fantasy of, of visual storytelling, but something that captures the emotion that you want to feel when you look at the photo again later. So I would look for opportunities in those cases to, to capture emotions of the family with some sort of zoo-like element, probably some sort of animal, but it could be a sign or it could be a, a zoo worker. I would look for those, those moments. Don't spend so much time focusing on just like getting great shots of, you know, birds or, 
you know, whatever it is, those are going to be cool. You know, you go back and you might be impressed with your technical ability to capture um, animals, which is fine if that's what you're going for. If you, if you want to be a wildlife photographer and using this as like practice, that's great as well. Um, but, but if you're trying to identify what that story is beforehand and you have identified it in, in something like the family's trip to the zoo, you absolutely have to find a way to blend these elements together of people, zoo elements, which I guess is animals, uh, <laughs> and some sort of emotion, you know, which is going to probably come through in the, the eyes and, and facial speech structure, facial, facial expressions. I always love looking at, uh, people's pictures from the zoo because, it's always like super long lens trying to just frame the animal as if like they're really on the Serengeti or something like that. But we all know you're like, we're in Cleveland. Like, you know, that's not, that that's not Africa there. Yeah. Um, It's it's a good example, I think, because, um, you know, as a video person, I was never that into photography until video technology sort of, you know, pushed everyone to using DSLRs, in which case it's like, okay, now my video camera shoots photos. And I, I started to take up photography. And one of the first things I did was I went to the zoo. I, <laughs> I knew it. Back. See, such a good yeah. example. <laughs> and the same thing happened. I, t- I think I took 1200 photos of animals in pens and guess how many times I've looked at those pictures since that day, even Zero. though they were pretty, yeah, none. <laughs> never, never looked at but I bet if there was, say, a kid in the foreground uh, looking over the fence, trying to see a giraffe, suddenly that's a that's a photo that maybe you would want yeah. to uh, to look at later. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, what about as you just mentioned there? You know, the blending of of cameras. Essentially, we used to have a camera and we used to have a video camera. These were two separate things. And then the cell phone came along. And, oh no, wait. Actually, I take that back. I had. I don't even remember what it was called. It was like a Sanyo. This thing was crazy. It was it was ridiculous. It was like a little tiny pocket camera, and you flip it open, and you could switch from video mode to photo mode. And I remember seeing this thing, and I bought it for that exact reason. I was like, wherever I go, I now no longer have to take stills from my you know 480p video to 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 have a photo of this. And being able to have both was very exciting. So let's say that there's you know plenty of new photographers right now listening, and they got into photography because they love the idea of capturing moments right should we be exploring the video functions of our cameras and if so you know do you have any uh good beginner tips to just getting started with that like what should we do with some of this footage maybe well i think it's it's worth anyone who is learning photography to switch over to video mode and take take a few clips now and again and i think what you're going to find is that a lot of the fundamentals translate over pretty seamlessly um Camera movement is can be difficult, um, which is a new skill to learn. And audio capture is a new skill to learn. But, but if you already have the camera that can do it, yeah, you absolutely should should experiment with it. And you might find a new passion. Um, as for beginner tips, uh, you know, I just mentioned two, I guess, which is a uh, camera movement. And I guess I'll I'll um, clarify camera movement by saying uh, camera stabilization um, is a big one, and so is audio. So uh, camera stabilization is important because um, everyone. I think understands that shaky cam footage is uh, just difficult to watch and it really doesn't matter what the subject is. Um, you know, if the footage is too shaky, it's like viewers will just get um, disoriented or, you know, motion sick, just watching it. So you got to figure out how to keep the camera stable. So many cameras now have in body stabilization built in that it's, it's not as big a deal, but but a lot of the same, um, you know, fundamentals of how to keep your camera still photogra- for photography work for video as well. So 
Um, one of them is three points of contact, right? So you want to like keep your elbows in, one elbow, two elbows, and then like pull the, the, the camera itself close to your face. And if you can make contact with the camera on your face, then that's the third point. Um, kind of difficult sometimes with, with modern cameras, but you can actually get like little accessories that like eye pieces that stick out. Yeah. But three points of contact help keep things extra stable. Um, obviously tripods work great for video as well as photography. Although I would say that, uh, if you're using a, you know, a, um, inexpensive photo tripod, uh, and you want to shoot video with it, try not to move the camera too much. They, the heads of those tripods don't, don't, you know, they're not built for nice smooth pans and tilts. Um, also you can get stabilizers pretty inexpensively, um, that will, you know, use a, a brushless motor to keep things smooth. Um, but otherwise, um, look for, look for, uh, you know, ways to keep the camera as still as possible and turn that image stabilization on. Um, and then the second is audio capture, which if there's anything more frustrating than shaky camera, it's in, uh, un, what's the word? Inaudible audio. Inaudible, yes. Yeah. So you can't understand what people are saying or, you know, you're doing that thing where, you know, when you're watching it, you got to ride the remote control, you know. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Talks, it's like blasting and turn it down. That can be tricky. Um, we always say, you know, don't use the microphone that's built into your camera. Try to get an external mic if you can. But if you uh, have to use the mic that's inside the camera, like you just don't want to make the investment of a microphone, keep the camera really close to your subject. So don't shoot across the room at someone who's talking to the camera. You really have to be close. Those microphones are not that good. They're not that directional. So get the microphone close. And actually that, that advice applies to any microphone. The closer you can get the microphone, generally the better sound quality you can get. But, but if you can focus on those things, Keep the, uh, the camera stable. Make sure the microphone is close and, and you're capturing a nice crisp sound. Um, that'll get you a long way. Another thing to do is to plug your headphones into the, mic- into the, the camera itself. So not all new cameras or, or entry-level cameras have a headphone jack, but if they do, you can plug like your earbuds into that, and that'll help you monitor the sound can't trust it entirely because what you hear in your earbuds are not necessarily what's going to come out of speakers, but you'll listen for things like crackly audio or, you know, wind noise. Everyone has, has this experience, I think, shooting on their phone or, or, or a simple camera where they're capturing some event and then they take it home and they look at it. I guess you can watch it on your phone now, but you get this like rumbling audio of the wind hitting the microphone. You've got to keep your, your earbuds in so you can hear for that and make adjustments as you, as you go. But that's really the big ones. Um, assuming you already know the, the fundamentals of photography and exposure and focus and all that, stabilization and audio. Now, let's say that, first of all, I guess before we go any further, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, on that movie that came out a few years ago, Hardcore Henry. Do you remember that movie? It was like, it was like, Henry. you said you've never heard of it? Oh. It was like uh, it was like first person uh, view. It it even had like theatrical release, uh, and it was it was so hard to watch because being you know uh, first person view, it um, it's very shaky. <laughs> it's very shaky, and I I ended up having to leave the theater. Like I paid twenty dollars or whatever yep. to see this movie, and I left because uh, it was so shaky and it was uh, it was unnerving to watch. So uh, you know. I love that tip. That's a great tip. You know, try to keep things as, as steady as possible and then just simple camera movements and, and bump up the, uh, the quality of the audio. That's, uh, that's great stuff. So now that we have, let's say, um, let me ask you, do you think that there's a world in which uh, photography and video exist together or are they pretty mutually exclusive? Well, I mean, from a skills 
perspective, there's certainly tons of overlap. And now you're seeing all kinds of filmmakers who are venturing into photography and vice versa. So that's going to continue, I'm sure. As for creative work, yeah, absolutely. There's going to merge over. So I can think of two examples where the two have sort of crossed paths or maybe have merged. So one of them is um, motion graphics. So you may have seen, well, actually anyone who's ever watched like old Ken Burns documentaries know mm-hmm. that Ken Burns can tell um, an eight-hour story with stills, right? Yes. Still audio, obviously, narration. Um, so that's actually one of the first skills that, um, you know, if you ever want to get into documentary or, or video work generally is to learn how to tell stories with video using only photos, using, you know, basically pan and scan over, over images. But even in motion graphics, there's a lot going on with, um, there's this effect that's really popular. It's been popular for boy, 15 years or so now where, you know, you can go into your software and like cut out, um, you know, the subject of a photograph and separate them from the background and then do this like 3D parallax look. Oh, yes, yes. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot you can do with um, photographs in video and you can tell entire stories without, you know, recording any motion pictures. Um, Outside of that, you know, one thing that I really enjoy, boy, what is the name of these things? Uh, Cinemagraph? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, where you take the image and and you can, uh, I had, uh, I had the, creator of, of, of one of the more popular uh, Cinemagraph apps uh, on the podcast. And yeah, so you can like have a picture, you put in some key points and then like make them stretch uh, or so. Like is stretch the right word? And then it just kind of loops. Uh, I think it's any motion element. Um, so like a Cinemagraph, from my, my understanding, I should write Google this to make sure I'm using the right word. But, <laughs> uh, is this idea that it's a photograph with an animated looping element, right? So yes. an example might be someone standing in the rain and the rain is pouring, but it's otherwise a photograph, right? Or someone sitting next to the fire and the fire is flicking, but it's otherwise a photograph. Um, I saw one uh, where it was like an Olympic, uh, you know, torchbearer and mm-hmm. they're like frozen in frame, you know, running, but the, the fire flame of the torch is burning. Um, I think those are really interesting. I don't know how mainstream they'll ever be uh, until we get to like, you know, the Harry Potter world where, <laughs> you know, you know um, animated pictures hanging on the wall and all that. But, but I think those are two examples that I can think of where these two, these two disciplines have sort of um, crossed paths. So then that brings me kind of to my next question here, which is uh, talking about, you know, you don't know how, how mainstream cinemagraphs are going to go because it's, it's kind of a strange medium to be able to view right it almost seems kind of gimmicky right you look at it and you're like oh that's interesting and then you just you just keep going whereas video has the ability to stop you and you'll want to watch the story from beginning to end and with a photo it can also stop you and and make you really look and kind of dive deeper into an image um where do you think that do you think that it's possible that we live in a world where both of those things can be combined and still allow us to to view them together? I mean, again, bad question there. Not not fully formed, but obviously. So that's going to be a video, right? I just answered my own question there. Kind of like that Ken Burns that Ken Burns uh, 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 example that you gave there. We're taking photos and then we're turning them into video. But in in the world of of storytelling, do you think that there's a situation in which we use video and we have photos, but together they just make a stronger story. Uh, you know what might be a good example of this? And it's, it's not like, you know, the sexiest thing in the world. 
well, maybe to some people it is, is, um, is social media, right? Where people do tell stories on Instagram using a combination of images and, and video. So just like as you're flipping through, you know, a, a post that has a number, what do they call it, a carousel? You know, where you're looking at photos and inter- blended within them is, is video clips, where if you look at anything individually, maybe the story isn't, isn't there, but it's sort of a combination of these things. It sort of paints a broader picture. Um, and again, this is like is a consumer level thing, you know, uh, whether this translates to Hollywood, I'm not sure. Um, but that's one example I can think of where it's like this sort of multimedia thing. But, you know, to, the, to, the, to your um, point about the Ken Burns is like, is it video? It, I mean, does taking these images and then doing pans over the top of them and adding um, voiceover narration and music, is, does that mean it's no longer a photograph hmm. or is it video now? You know, I, I, I think you could say it's kind of both. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that eventually, yeah, back to the cinemagraph idea, you know, this idea that, you know, video will capture someone's attention, maybe in a way that, that a photo won't, at least like in terms of like a fleeting passerby, you know, that happens because our eyes are attracted to motion. It's probably like, dates back to our time on the savannah, you know, looking for lions or something um, that we just like snap our eyes to motion. That's why video is so attention grabbing. But I can definitely foresee, um, you know, more examples in, you know, the outside world, outside of our, our screens on our, our phones and our laptops and our TVs, where screens are kind of everywhere. You know, actually, we're seeing this now with a lot of billboards. They're like electronic billboards where just a little bit of motion in an otherwise static image like a billboard uh, will capture someone's attention in a way that a, just a classic still photograph wouldn't. Um, so I do think that we are going to see that, especially as, you know, um, display technology progresses and prices come down. If we have displays everywhere, electronic displays, we're definitely going to see way more motion than we ever have before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a few months ago, I talked to a photographer, and his name is uh, Simon. And what he did was he decided to but to learn photography while documenting his journey, essentially, right? So he did a, a, a one-photo-a-week project, and it was only supposed to be for a year, but now I think he's going on year seven, which is, which is awesome wow. for him. But what he did uh, was to extend the uh, the learning i suppose or the education side of it he is now taking those photos and then he puts it in you know premiere or 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 iMovie and then narrates kind of how he got that shot right and kind of how that photo came about and i always struggle with this idea of like yes like we're looking at this photo and it's cool to be able to hear that story and that's that's a whole element right there right but there's also something to be said about viewing a photograph like in print because print is kind of that that natural medium for a photograph and then just letting yourself kind of figure out what's going on in an image um what are your thoughts on kind of the the differences between the two and kind of where new photographers who are getting into photography but also interested in video, what are your thoughts on kind of how they can explore those two things? Well, I think the example that you gave of, of the, the guy who's trying to do both simultaneously is a good one. And it's interesting because a lot of the fundamentals are the same for both. And yet the process of learning to become a great photographer versus becoming a great filmmaker are, are they are quite a bit different. And you do have to focus on different things, you know, 
in a photograph, you have one frame. That's all you get uh, to tell an interesting story. And so you got to pour a lot of attention, a lot of effort into making sure everything is just right in this one frame. Um, although, you know, I don't want to discount, you know, the, the sort of, uh, what do they call it? Street photography, guerrilla photography style. Um, uh, but uh, it, with filmmaking, you know, you're working on different things. You know, the, the, the person who is documenting their f- photography um, uh, journey is probably not treating every video shot with the same level of care that they are with their photographs. Um, likewise, they're probably not giving the script for the video that they're creating as much care as they are for their photograph. Um, and, and those are important disciplines um, that if you want to become a master in, e- in either craft, you're, you're going to be uh, you know, focusing your attention in, in different directions. Um, uh, that said, you know, as you're developing your skills, certainly you can work on working on the camera and the composition and the lighting, and those skills will transfer over pretty well. Like this person who was working on their photo skills surely became a better video shooter or cinematographer in the process. Um, now, if they want to make a movie every um, week, they're going to need to learn different skills, you know, because capturing a beautiful image, even if that be- image tells a little bit of a story, you know, isn't quite developing all the, the skills that you need to become a great filmmaker. You know, you really do have to focus a lot on editing and writing um, in ways that you wouldn't have with, uh, have to do that with, um, with photography. You know what I always found interesting is that, uh, and I never thought about this in, say, high school, but, you know, when DVDs were first, <laughs> this sounds so old, when DVDs were really, like, gaining popularity and they were, like, putting new features into DVDs, and they would always make, you know, a deleted scenes portion. And I was always so excited to watch those deleted scenes because I was like, you know, what what didn't they put in the movie? But it wasn't until I went to film school that I realized somebody had to write that. Like, somebody had to write that scene, somebody had to plan it, and when somebody wrote that scene, they wrote that scene with the hopes that that scene was going to push the movie forward in some sense, right? That it was going to push that story that was being told forward, and yet here it is, completely removed from the, from the movie, because it didn't do anything. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what you were talking about earlier, which is just the simple three-act structure, right? Uh, for those just getting into video work, you know, what is it and, and, and what would it look like to capture? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, the, just the general idea of the scene that gets cut, I think, is a process that happens when, uh, kind of like when you're doing any kind of creative work, is you have an idea of something that's going to work out, and as you're working through it, you realize, actually, actually you know, this thing that I thought was going to work, really, that doesn't work. Um, and that happens all the time. I don't care if you're, you know, making a movie or, you know, you're making a business card, right? Um, <laughs> that, that process happens. Um, the the three-act structure is just like this, it's basically the um, it's the beginning, middle, and end of, of any story. And this is um, the idea here transcends just filmmaking. It's the same thing for, um, you know, if you're writing a novel, you're probably following this. Um, but it's basically, uh, if, if you take the three-act structure, beginning, middle, end, and go one level deeper, it's this concept called Freytag's Pyramid, which I don't know the history of a, a Frey, the guy, Freytag, but he, he basically documented this idea that stories happen in these, these phases. So um, the phases, just to go through them quickly, is exposition, where you're just sort of setting the, the scene. You're introducing all the characters. There's an inciting incident where conflict 
you know, is introduced. There's rising in action. Um, so in this story, the tension is climbing. Um, and this happens usually in act two, of the three act structure. There's the climax. So this is like, you know, in the scene from the 1989 Batman when the Joker falls off the building. That's the climax. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, there's the falling action when now uh, tension declines. And uh, there's resolution or denouement um, when the story sort of wraps up. And this general idea, the three-act structure of Freytag's pyramid, can be applied to any story that's told over time, I believe. And again, I'm not enough of a photography expert to say, does this, you know, if this works with photography, like you said, maybe in a series of photographs, it would work quite well. Um, but, uh, but when you're telling any story in time, uh, whether it's video, you're making a movie, whether you are making a commercial, whether you're making um, a bunch of TikToks, theoretically, to tell a good story, this, this general Freytag's pyramid, the react structure, helps to capture attention and hold it um, in a way that is just, it just, I don't know why it's human psychology or something, but it just works in order to get people to understand what's happening and be interested and, and uh, are, um, you know, have some emotional investment in the story. Happens in novels, you name it. Um, there are other storytelling formats. There are certainly films that don't necessarily follow this format, but this is kind of the bedrock foundation of, of storytelling when let's go back to that zoo example real quick all right because when i go to the, to the zoo and i hear from many new photographers they want to capture everything they're going to shoot every little detail we're going to you know we're going to get the uh the the ketchup on the face when he's eating the chicken nuggets or whatever you know the little kid at the at the lunch like we're going to capture all these photos when it comes to that three-act structure idea should we is this something that we should be planning before and then know, like, you know, you know what, I don't really need to capture lunch here? Or is this something that we just capture at all and then edit down after the fact? Uh, you know, I would say that if you're taking photographs at, at the zoo, you can kind of think, your, think about yourself in like a, um, like a documentarian, right? So one of the big ta- challenges that documentary filmmakers have is there's something going on and they have to explore it and investigate it. And the story unfolds as it's happening. So they, they find the story in the process of, of making the story. And so obviously you don't want to like plot out the conflict of your trip to the zoo, right? <laughs> you want there to be conflict to make a good story. Like if you're going to show pictures to your family afterwards and there's going to be 20 photos, you want there to be some sort of conflict because as people go through these series, they're seeing like what happened and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe blank happened that's the conflict um but at the same time you don't want to like be plotting and scheming and being like i'm gonna make sure that you know billy drops his ice cream cone on the ground or something (laughs) i'm gonna Um, knock it out of his hand (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um but as you're taking photos you take a lot of photos um and again this is a little bit outside of my domain but i would say you're looking for the story and you're looking for elements of conflict and as you afterwards are piecing these photos together and you're choosing them in a way that you, know, you hope that when you show your friends and family this collection of images that it doesn't fall into that same sort of um, hit that so many family photos have where it's like you're excited because you were there and it brings back memories but no one really else is excited to look at the photos. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can go along and show these and maybe with captions or something you're sort of telling the story of what happened and you put the most exciting things, you know, kind of like in the last third um, and you have this rising tension, this rising conflict as you go. Um, and that's what's going to pe- pe- keep people like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what, what the 
next photo holds. Um, and again, sorry, this is kind of out of my domain. I don't know if people actually do this in photography, but, but if I was um, trying to make a um, tell a story with photos about a trip to the zoo, that, that's what I would do. I'd take a bunch of photos and look for those moments of tension and conflict and, and try to tell a story with that. And, you know, I say tension and conflict, which are kind of negative sounding words. They don't have to be traumatic, um, but, but just sort of points of interest um, is what you're looking for. They could be perfectly innocent, like Billy dropping his ice cream cone is not a big deal. But if you got the photo, that'd be a great shot. Sorry to say. <laughs> but if I knocked it out of his hand, that would be that would be traumatic that w- and that would be conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you would be a bad person, but the photo might. Be good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that you said that because I think uh, you know when it comes to photos, displaying the photos is always the challenge. I think when it comes to shooting video, the, the barrier for me at least is the editing. But then once you have it, it's it's fun and it's easy to share, and like it just goes out there. It's, it's, it's one video, right? Whether it's a minute, five minutes, you know, whatever it is, here it is. But when it comes to photos, I don't want to inundate everybody on, you know, my Facebook feed or whatever with a hundred photos that I took, uh, at the zoo and me knocking, you know, Charlie's ice cream out of his hand. You know, I I don't want to do that. So that's always a hard thing for me and trying to figure out other ways to display those. You know, sometimes I use, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, Animoto. So it's just like a slideshow, uh, app, right? You load in a bunch of photos, creates a video slideshow you can set it to music if you want to and then now you have a collection of images that can be shared much easier um and that's one of my favorite things to do uh so if anybody's listening like that's a great way to do it but aside from that i think that's and you you've really helped me there kind of uncover this 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 hidden block for me which is how am i trying to share my photos how am i trying to get a point across and tell this larger story uh of essentially what we're doing is we're just capturing our lives right? As photographers. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit different for video, but uh, for photography, we're just, we're just capturing our lives. So I know that we're coming to the end of our time. Do you have any last maybe uh, ideas or on how to do a long-term project? Like, (laughs) like our entire lives? (laughs) Boy, um, you know, how do you do Two or three sentences max, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always think the most interesting thing when someone does one of these these big projects, um, is to is to see how they develop their own personal style. Like if you were doing a photo project for five years or your entire life, good luck telling one coherent story over that entire time. Um, although actually afterwards, if if you're coming towards the end of your life and you have a lifetime of photographs, you could edit these together into a into a book that would probably have, tell a pretty compelling story that follows a nice free text pyramid structure. But uh, aside from that, um, but aside from that, I always think the most important or most interesting thing is to see how someone's personal style evolves. Um, and it happens with everyone who takes enough photos or shoots enough video where you know, they start out and they're emulating someone else's look or someone else's style. And eventually that you just like, they run dry, you know, you, you're taking so many images, you just can't emulate this someone else's look forever. And, and I think this is true no matter what you're doing, whether you're taking photographs or, you know, baking cookies, right? Like if you do it enough, you start to get into your own groove and you, you sort of find what you're good at. You find what works, you expand on that. Um, and as a viewer of photographs and a viewer of collections, I love seeing how people's style develops and seeing that evolution of these like kind of generic looking photos or, you know, photos that are emulating something else into something that's truly unique. 
Um, and so, you know, as a creator, I, w- I would look for those opportunities, look for uh, opportunities to play and experiment, to, to create something new, to create something that is uniquely yours, um, even if it doesn't come through in a singular photograph, but as you're, as you're piecing together this collection over many years, you start to see, oh, actually, I do have this, this signature look or this signature style that when you look at it as a whole, says a lot about me as a photographer or as a creator. Um, I think, again, that, that's just really interesting to look at. The, the actual content of the photos is always nice, um, but when I'm looking at, at, a, at a lifetime of collections, uh, those are the things that, that are most interesting to me. Mike, I don't know how to end it uh, any better than that. That was inspirational. That was educational right there. Uh, and I think that the listeners are going to get a lot out of that uh, little sentiment right there. So so thank you very much. Now, I know that we're at the end of our time here. But before I let you go, can you let the listeners know where they can follow you online and learn more about video makers? Um, yeah. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I guess that must mean you're a podcast listener so i encourage you to check out uh, our relatively new podcast the video maker podcast um it's uh, video maker is uh, um, a publication a media company for beginners and enthusiasts so um if you're at all interested in video production i encourage uh, that uh, i encourage you to check that out or you can go to videomaker.com and read articles and watch videos and that kind of stuff um but yeah those are the things what about you yeah. can we follow you on instagram can we follow you where, where can we find you online you online uh, you can, if you want, I'm not, I'm not much of a social media person. I'm like, uh, I'm like one of those people that don't, don't I don't trust Silicon Valley, but, <laughs> but I do have profiles there. You can, you can check me out. Uh, M N Wilhelm. Um, on, uh, I think that's the handle on Instagram and Twitter and that's all I use. <laughs> okay. Right on. Well, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, you know, we, you didn't do a very good job of selling it right there, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Anyway, can, again, can follow uh, at video maker on both of those places. We are quite active. There you go. Perfect. Much, much better than the, uh, than the personal one right there. Well, Mike, uh, you know, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing everything that you did. I look forward to keeping up with you in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation. I really hope that you enjoyed that interview uh, with Mike today and picked up some tips if you're looking to start taking some videos. And and if not, I mean, you know, I hope that you picked up a thing or two on how to tell a better story with your images. Mike is, you know, very knowledgeable and shared a ton of great information. And if you like this chat uh, with Mike and you want to learn more about video, again, check out his podcast, Video Maker Podcast. And you can listen to that right here, where you are listening to this podcast right now. That is it for this week. Uh, I, again, hope that you enjoyed. Hope that you learned something. Hope that you took something away from this one that you're going to implement into your photos. And I hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review in iTunes. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week.